Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Jay Armstrong, the editor and creative director of Elementum, which is a magazine that describes itself as a journal of nature and story. As Jay explains, a sense of place is very important to Elementum. It's based down in Dorset on the southwest coast of England, and it draws heavily on the British landscape for both its stories and its design. But there's something else about Elementum that I find really fascinating. It's a sense of spirituality or folklore that taps into something that goes way beyond the landscape we see before us today. As you'll hear during this conversation, Jay reminds me that I previously referred to this part of the magazine as a sort of witchcraft, which in reflection is probably not the best description I could have come up with. She speaks of it as influenced by deep time, and I loved hearing her speaking about this timeless and essential force that runs through the magazine. I was also interested to hear her speaking about the reasons why you won't find politics or religion in the magazine and the way that a biannual publishing schedule allows her to achieve what she wants with the magazine while also fitting in family and other important life stuff. I'll put some pictures of the magazine up on the Stack blog, so have a look there if you've never seen this beautiful journal before and you're curious to know what it looks like. And I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Jay Armstrong from Elementum. Hey Jay, thank you very much for coming and stopping in. That's lovely, thanks for having me Steve. So I have been fascinated by this magazine since issue one, since I first saw it. It seems to me like you're doing a lot of stuff that is like other magazines, but then you're doing this extra special tweak that makes it a bit unique. So maybe start by telling us what is Elementum and and what makes it different? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, Elementum was an idea I came up with uh, when I ended up back at university as a mature student uh, doing an MA in professional writing. And I was there really by more because of circumstance and because my husband's job and we ended up in Cornwall and uh, I was self-employed and I didn't really fancy having to set up my business all over again for about the third time. (laughs) And I was a photographer. Um, My daughter was at school, so I saved up and I went on a professional writing course, this MA. And there were lots of people there who knew pretty much what they wanted to do, I think. Uh, But I was really there to find out what I wanted to do. And uh, so Elementum came really from a a couple of things and one of them was the response to place was my response to not being a tourist in Cornwall but living in in Cornwall in the southwest of of England for our international listeners (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the rocky western coast Uh, and the other one was really about you know turning 40 and really not perhaps um, having discovered what I was truly what truly sort of, I, use, I don't want to use the word passionate because everyone uses the word passionate, but what I was truly passionate about because I was interested in so many things, hence my rather sort of patchwork career. Um, so that was the two things that where Elementum came from was the response to place, uh, uh, which was obviously the natural world, and um, this idea that actually what, I, what, what really got me ticking was uh, photographs, uh, words, and, uh, and the natural world, which is really what I was interested in when I was about nine years old, before the curriculum sort of whisks you away into maths and uh, you know languages and history and what have you. That's nice. So, yeah. so age 40 then, you come back to this enduring interest from being a nine-year-old girl at school. Yeah. The, and there's a lot in the magazine which has that sense of enduring interest. The, the, 
It's a magazine that feels kind of timeless. So for anyone who's not seen the magazine, tell us what can they expect to find in there? Okay, so what I want is I wanted it to be of... of um the highest possible standards, for want of a better word, because if people are going to part with money, uh, I think it's only fair that you that you make it with the best quality paper that you can afford, um, that with the best content as well. The design is, you know, of a certain ilk, and I, you know, but that was also quite deliberate because it creates a sense of space. And one of the, I did quite a lot of research into this, and one of the um, things that I discovered was that in an age of over-stimulation, of over-information, of actually of people directing you what to read, you know, top 10 places to eat, top 10 places, you must go here, you must wear this, you must do that. What people I think were, not people, I, I was a very general term, but what I wanted was to offer a space where readers did not feel they were being directed, that they could sort of create their own decisions and their own reflections and their own responses. Um, so within that, that's why they, they, the, the design is quite sort of minimal, which follows, I, I understand, you know, there was a certain trend for that, maybe less so now. But that suits it. That suits what we do. But the content is very varied, um, and in the same way um, that the natural world is underpinned by immutable laws of physics, uh, there's this very sort of strong uh, design sort of um, structure that runs through the journal. But within it, as with the natural world, there's a huge amount of diversity, uh, both in contributors and style. So you said so uh, just to, to like sort of give this some shape then. So the the strap line is a journal of nature and story. So I guess when I said earlier that it's a magazine that's doing similar things to others. So there are bits of this which is travel magazine. Mm -hmm. There are bits of this which are kind of nature, natural world magazine. And then there's something else as well. There's a sense of mythology or, or spirituality that's in there. Yes, I remember you mentioning that when you did that review of the second <laughs> edition. I think the word you actually used was witchcraft. And I was like, ooh, that's a bit... <laughs> um, good, good witchcraft. Yeah, well, yes. well, certainly. And I think, you know, it's really interesting because I think what does influence the journal a lot is this concept of deep time, which is uh, deep time being really pre-Anthropocene, which is when Homo sapiens arrived on the scene. Um, and it was before a time of um, boundaries, of barriers, not barriers, of um, uh, checkpoints, of nationalities. There was a commonality, you know, which there is obviously, um, well, species are specific to certain areas of the world. But you take the whale, for instance, for example, there's no, it doesn't come across checkpoints and has to show a passport sort of thing. Um, so the deep time is, is sort of, is into that sort of, I suppose C.S. Lewis called it, uh, the deeper magic you know, a time when we, we can only connect through objects, for example, fossils or geology. So that certainly informs it. The other thing that informs it is folklore. Um, I come from Scotland originally, and I think that's why Cornwall had such a big influence on me, was because it was reminiscent of that Western landscape. Um, but one thing that is, you know, from the Scottish tradition and perhaps the Irish and Welsh tradition in the, in the United Kingdom is there's a greater sense of sort of historical identity as well. So I've sort of drawn on that um, sort of experience of being at school and singing in Gaelic and Scottish dancing and, you know, just that sort of slightly alternative culture to um, the culture maybe down in, in England, which I know has its own varieties. Uh, so I think that informs it, not necessarily the Celtic side, but just in a awareness of other cultural traditions as well. And I think that all of this is done in a way that I don't see 
done elsewhere. So the, in issue four, there's a lovely piece. Um, uh, I think it's the otter and yes. all of the different names for the otter, and it's so like you know, it's kind of like river hunter, and all. Yes. It, it, this the, it just feels so strongly evocative of this particular Britishness, or or the uh, is it Celtic? What the, where, where is this? Where where what is this sense of place? It's a really interesting question. I can only speak from a British perspective and, and a, I suppose a Scottish perspective. I left Scotland over 20 years ago, sadly. haven't really lived there since. Um, but Jackie Morris is very, uh, who, who we've been so fortunate to work with, um, has a very deep abiding sense of connection with the natural world. I mean, the book which she and Robert McFarlane brought out, The Lost Words, has become quite a phenomenon. Book. Absolutely extraordinary. And we were very lucky to be involved with uh, Jackie and Rob in the lead up to that publication and they actually contributed some unique stuff for Elementum which was extraordinary and um, very grateful for that so I think there's a wider it's not just it's not just Elementum there's a wider scope of people and I think what we've been able to do is create a, a bit of a, um, a crucible where all manner of people academics folklorists uh, artists can bring their own response and the sense of reconnection. And I think the other thing I would say is that we, the, the, the eco, the natural world, it can, it can be quite political, for, and quite rightly so, but we don't do politics, so we steer away from politics. We also steer away from religion. So when you talk about a spirituality, whether you are an atheist or a believer in a higher power, uh, you can't deny that there's something bigger than us out there, which is the weather, <laughs> or the sea, or, you know, um, time itself. So that's really sort of, I suppose, more what we're trying to do as well. And so who are the readers for this? Because there are, I suppose, independent magazines as a whole have this identity. And I, I, I don't think this is accurate, but it's very often associated with like the cool kids in Shoreditch, the you know sort of like the, the trendy ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels to me like that's not where you're aiming with this magazine. Yeah. It was yeah, absolutely. I was very surprised to see our readership spans from aged nineteen or nine, if you include my daughter. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> cheating. <laughs> our oldest subscriber is ninety-nine. Um, we had a lovely letter from a 94-year-old the other, other week. Um, so we have such a broad range. We have a, a male-female split of about 50-50, and we're now being read in about 37 countries, I think. Not in huge quantities necessarily, but we've got that reach. Um, and I was surprised because obviously when I was researching was, was there a market for this sort of journal, all the data was around sort of the urban designer-wear tech-savvy um, usually sort of um, double-income family or double-income partnerships. Um, so really I was, I was expecting that as well. And I think, I don't know if we might be the first, I'm sure we're not, uh, but I was quite shocked to see uh, who was buying it. And actually that, that was quite humbling because I realised that actually I'd been sort of swept up and thinking that this was only for the under 35s, of which I wasn't one myself. <laughs> but I, you know, and that actually made me think, you know, why can't, you know, why, uh, yes, if it's beautiful and if it's, if it has longevity, then of course it's going to appeal to everybody or a certain niche across the age groups anyway. Uh, and that niche is super important because then the next question is also well, how do you go about reaching these people? So mm -hmm. the, so, so tell me, what's, I mean, you spend all your time 
making this thing, how do you then start to put it in front of people and find your, your readership? Yeah, well, we, it, was, it was very interesting to start with because when we first brought this out and we were very fortunate to have MMS uh, help us, um, we could see that the sales were, were going to sort of, it was, it was going to join all the other indies that go out. So we, we knew that. Um, we tried to get a little bit of sort of interest from uh, the other sort of PR scene sort of into the literary world. And I could sense very early on that we were we were pretty much falling between the cracks of two genres, mm, of mm. the magazine genre and the book genre. Um, I have the term genre fluid now, which is my sort of <laughs> description of where we are. And it's so interesting that uh, some of the most right on um, uh, industries are the most rigid about genre. <laughs> um, so I made a decision very early on that we needed to put our effort into digital marketing um, because we, you know, there's a bit, there's a real stubborn streak to myself. And I was like, well, great I'll, if if i how if i what's the word i i shouldn't wait for other people's acceptance of this project which i very much believed in i had to go and get it out there myself so we've invested in a very good website and we make sure it's optimized we have a seo person who comes in every six months to help us um We've got that reach. I mean, it's not huge compared to some, but we don't. But we have organic growth. We've never bought followers and used that. We don't do advertising, which is another thing. But we want this organic growth. Um, and uh, as far as getting out in front of people, we're very successful. We did a, a swap with Slightly Foxed, who were superb. We've had a great relationship with them. We put in these flyers to go in. And we've had a phenomenal response. We've had the pre-digital or, or post-digital reader, actually, come back uh, with checks. A lot of people don't want to pay online, uh, all the way from Singapore and Australia and Switzerland. Really? So, wonderful. Really grateful to Slightly Fox. But it just goes to show there's a lot of people out there who need to be reached from alternative ways. And in terms of the... So, thinking about the digital reach that you do, which of the channels that you're working in do you find works best for the magazine? It's a really interesting question. So we, we use Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Facebook we sort of keep warm more than anything else just because of um, uh, I don't really want to be sinking more money into, into that platform. Right. Uh, Twitter works brilliantly for the thinkers and the academics and the readers and the literary world. Uh, so we have some really good conversations on Twitter. Uh, and Instagram, obviously, much more visual. Um, so I'd say Twitter as a whole. We have, we have um, when, we, when there's an online sale, we ask people to put where they've sort of interacted with us. Mm -hmm. And it really will be a mix between um, Twitter and Instagram as far right. as the social media referrals go. But it's hard work to keep that channels busy, and we have a we have a social media manager now, which yeah. she's been amazing. Yeah, no, I mean the, this stuff it takes it all takes time. Yeah. The, this is I think people don't necessarily always realise from the outside. Each of those things takes time to keep it going. I, I'd guess that with your magazine, because you have these beautiful, big illustrations and photographs, like that stuff lends itself very naturally to something like Instagram the, you can see that there's a, a, a close affinity there yeah absolutely and I, I but I think also we have to be careful that we uh, present it curate it as you will in a particular way that also reflects the aesthetic and I think until it's seen on paper quite often you just don't get the same response absolutely um, this is why we, we always say we've always got a new magazine mm -hmm. Definitely send us PDFs. We're really interested to see that. But it's not until you actually hold the thing yeah. in your hands, that's when you know. So I, I'm interested that your background was as a photographer. Yes. Because as I say, you've got lovely photography in there. But I think if I were to go one way, mm -hmm. 
I would say I, I associate the illustration more with the magazine. Is this yes. like a new world that's been opened up to you? <laughs> well, I mean, I've, uh, I, I think the illustration is absolutely essential because it's completely unique. Um, and photography is, I obviously love the medium of photography, but I, won't, I, won't, I don't have photographs on my walls at home. I have, I have art or illustration. Um, and I think there's a very, uh, there's, a, there's a connection with the, um, the marks on the page, you know, straight from a hand. I don't, we've used a bit of digital illustration, but we're not going to do that again. We use it in one feature. Um, so I love that sort of, you know, the, 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 the slightly faulted, approach of, of, a, of a human interaction with a, with a medium and a piece of paper. Um, photography can be a little bit too perfect. Instagram can be a little bit too perfect. I think that's one of the big issues with social media is it makes people feel inadequate. Um, and the amount of work that's done on some images anyway post photos is, is ridiculous, as you imagine, no doubt seeing yourself. So I think we've tried to keep everything quite real. We scan the images and that's what you see. Um, my photography has got very little done to it if, if I use it. And one of the reasons I've there, I am in the journal is because I don't have to pay myself as much as anything because we pay all our contributors and that's essential to me that's really essential that we do things ethically uh, we print in the UK uh, as well which is another decision we've taken uh, financially perhaps not as uh, sensible as some but again it was part of our ethos mm, we wanted mm, to do mm. and, and it seems important as well that you're not in London there's, a, oh, yeah. there's an identity to this magazine which is it, it is very much of the British Isles, and and there's so much of the natural world in that. It almost feels like you couldn't make this magazine sit in an office in London. <laughs> That's really yeah interesting. We do suffer from not being in London for sure. You know we're not so part, um, in, what way? Uh, in terms of being part of a network. So for example, I've just uh, seen something in the. Um, I think it was the Chicken Shed Chronicles or something from the Do Lectures or I can't remember which one, which part of that organisation it was. There was a link to indie magazines you may not have heard of, and I thought, oh great, maybe we're there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was this, uh, and it scrolled down. There's heaps and heaps of them, and it got to like Science and Nature, and there's five, and we weren't there. Yeah. And all of most, I would say, all of them are urban urban publishers mm, here mm. or there. So there's an, that element of not being in, in a certain loop. But, you know, say the response to place was what hugely informed what I did. And I was living in that. And uh, so I think, yes, absolutely. Um, but I think the, the urban reader will sense that. Mm. And I think that's, it can be a gift. And I think one of the things we've heard from people is they get a holistically... A holistic and a real positive response to handling it the to even the smell of the paper apparently and <laughs> um, so it's it's meant to be a thing of beauty and beauty is a very tricky word in many ways uh, but that's the word that's used most of it is beautiful so if that brings a sense of calm and something positive to people then I can't see it being but a good thing mm, absolutely I'm interested also in how this fits with the rest of your life because so the, the you, you have a, a family at home. This is something that needs to work with all of that. So tell us, like the you know the, you, you do two a year, right? Uh, we do two a year now. Yes, we started off trying to do three a year, um, and what actually stopped that happening was we we had to move from Cornwall back to Dorset. So um, that was again a, another job change. 
but we're now settled, hopefully. <laughs> uh, and again, a very different landscape, you know, a much softer landscape, still beautiful, but very ancient, but a very different landscape with a different feel to it, to Cornwall. Um, so I have a daughter and I have a dog and I, and I have a husband who works away quite a lot. So um, I just have to work hard, I think. I mean, it, I know it sounds really sort of simple, uh, but I really, I love what I do. So I don't like using the word work. Um, it's how I use my day. Um, and I think there's a there's a bigger purpose in producing a journal, you know, um, which is about creating the, creating good writing because that's going to hopefully stand the test of time. Because um, if you are contributing something to a canon, then you try and do the best you can. Yeah, Otherwise, absolutely. it won't stand up. And, and so, where does this all go from here? What's the what's the plan for like you know five years hence? Oh well, I. I I um, very much like to keep the journal going on a biannual basis. We've been very fortunate to be involved with um, the Port Elliot Festival, which was fantastic. Um, and we might be doing some sort of pop-up at Hay next year, courtesy of uh, Booth's Bookshops. Um, and so the festival scene, for sure. Uh, I've just been in talks with an independent publisher about doing a collaboration, so that's quite exciting, sort of moving more into the book side of it, so watch this space. Um, but also we've, we'd like to grow the brand. I think we've got a strong brand, so we'd like to bring uh, more products in, again, sort of on the same line, so, you know, locally produced and ethically produced and promoting makers and what have you. Um, and we're running courses as well. So our first course is in October, this October, uh, creative writing, well, not creative writing, sorry, creative courses. And it's an introduction to the craft of writing because writing is like any other craft. And this was, you know, to my, to my sort of uh, horror, I'd done an English degree and there I was on an MA thinking I could write and I really couldn't. <laughs> and it is a skill and you do have to practice and there are some things to learn. So we're starting to run courses. Um, is, and and is, yeah. that, that's, is that happening in Dorset? That is happening in Somerset, in Bruton, in Somerset for this course. Um, and then we'll be expanding it, hopefully, to do more nature-based courses, maybe some photography. It's all up in there. My, my biggest problem is time. Um, uh, so I have to work on either growing the team or... Uh, sort of duplicating myself <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very familiar it's the, it's always look the fact yeah. is you can have all these ideas yeah. but at the end of the day you need to make them happen and once you've started them you need to keep making them happen yes. that that's the trouble you've got to yeah, it's, it's resources, isn't it? Absolutely. It's great being a starter, but you've also got to be a finisher. <laughs> and that's where the, the team comes in. Um, and we have got quite a number of uh, freelancers working for us in various capacities, which is wonderful. So one day it'd be great if we could grow that team as well. And, um, we've Yeah, so we've, we've, there's, a lot, there's a lot of sort of ideas out there, but I've just got to be careful I don't drop the quality or the frequency of the journal. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, it's, it's a very beautiful thing. And it, I think that you can just feel the quality that comes from it and the time that goes into it. It's, it's very, very evident. And I also think that two a year is actually a really nice cycle for this. The, you know, it gives you that kind of, well, it's seasonal in, a, in the most basic way. Yeah. You can see the, the two sides of this landscape that you're portraying. Yes, and I think there's a there's a... There's a rhythm to it which uh, people respond to. I can't. I mean, I, I did do a bit of research before going to two a year, and I spoke to one, um, to um, Magalari and Bath, who have been absolutely fantastic. Some of these uh, small outlets, Magazine Brighton, Magalari Bath, um, have been wonderful. So Daniel there is, is is brilliant, and I was chatting to him about it, and he said, "Well, actually, biannual." You know, there's, you can grow an expectation. Uh, it sits on the shelves longer. You know, so less sort of admin, less 
invoicing you know so he had a very very practical point as well so and it sits more comfortably because we have from edition one to edition four there's been a real shift and where it's gone which I didn't necessarily plan it to go but this is where we are now is we're more into the longer form essay uh, and it's more of about a first-person creative non-fiction uh, where we're at, which takes a lot of time on the edit. And one thing we invested in hugely in addition for was our editing. So we've got a superb copy editor, we have a superb sub-editor, and we have a proofer. So it's a very involved process, uh, which means, I hope, that it reaches the reader uh, as, as beautifully crafted as we can make it. And so when can we expect the fifth one to be with us? <laughs> so I'm hoping, I was, I was trying to get it out for Christmas because I wanted to, to get into a six-monthly cycle with November and, and uh, well, that'd be May. But I think what we're going to try and do is do April, October. Mm-hmm. Try and be sensible because, you know, speaking completely honestly, I would have made myself ill working that hard. I would not have seen my daughter and I would have had nothing else in my life but work. Um, and I think our readers are very accepting of that. Uh, and it's good that people know perhaps how, how, how small we are and small not in a pejorative way but in a in a sort of positive way that we're doing this really carefully almost it's almost like a handmade handmade journal isn't it sort of um craft publishing for want of a better word um so you know bear with us but it will be there and it will be to the highest standard and we've got some fantastic new contributors coming up quite a lot of uh, interesting academics who write beautifully about their subject because they're experts and they can they can really teach, and I think there's a, there's a teaching which uh, we can all learn from about our history and about our, the world around us as well. Fascinating. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Jay for coming over and speaking to me. I love this idea that she's returning to the stuff that fascinated her as a little girl. And she's exploring it now as a magazine editor and publisher to make this totally distinctive magazine. If you enjoyed this one, you can find lots more conversations with independent magazine makers in our archive. Just search for Stack Magazines on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever else you go to get your podcasts. And of course, if you follow us while you're there, we'll be able to deliver our next episode as soon as it's ready. Thanks very much for listening and we'll be back with another episode next week.